same time, we need to approach this with a heart of humility because I'm going to, I'm going to put it out there right at the start. I may tread on a few toes today. Okay? And if I tread on your toes, it's not because I'm being bossy and, and all that. It's because I want to speak to us as, a, as the shepherd that I am. And just I felt that as I walked into the room this second service that I needed to say something about that and humility. Okay? Which tells me that the Holy Spirit's here and he's present to do something in the room. Amen? He's here to do something in our hearts. And we have to position ourselves and say, God, what do you want to do for me today because I want to be more like Jesus? True? So we've got to put ourselves in the position to hear that and we can only do that with humility of heart. So let's pray. Father, we come with open minds and open hearts. Where you choose to convict us, convict us up to be conformed to Christ. Where the word challenges us, may we deal with it appropriately through our love feast today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather as a body, to be instructed by your spirit, and to sit under your word. I'm ready to hear, and I'm ready to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. This is more of an address than it is necessarily a sermon. But uh, within it, I believe there's some really significant message for us in the house and also for those uh, who are at home watching online. And if you're at home watching online, I pray that you're safe and I pray that you're well and I pray that uh, you will find the opportunity to get back into the house as well uh, at some stage as well as you listen through what's going on here. And... Uh, Thank you for being connected. If you're at home and you haven't connected with us in church in face for a little while, one of your pastors a text message and say, I'm watching online and uh, that we know we can continue to pray and uh, believe that the Lord is blessing you as we're working together. Amen. It's all about unity. So I've got some things to say and, uh, and I've got some things that I believe that has to be exposed so that we can undermine the work of the enemy call it out cut it off and move forward in unity amen so uh first let's let me let me start with today's reading as pastor micah said we're going to spend a bit of time in the book of romans uh throughout the day and he started with one of my favorite chapters romans chapter 8 and moving on to another one of my favorite chapters i'm going to begin in romans chapter 12 verses 9 to 21 and uh let me just, on the outset, if you're struggling to know what to do as a Christian in this time and day and age, this is a good passage of scripture for you. If you don't know how to be Jesus to the old world, this is a good passage for you. Um, this is a life passage that we should all have because this is really the marks of what it is to be a follower of Christ. Amen. The Romans chapter 12, giving you enough time to find it, verses 9 to 21. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. 
Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And all God's people said, Amen. What an amazing reading. What a reminder it is for us as we look to Jesus. You might have all been reading my correspondence of late through the emails and, and uh, I've been highlighting a few things um, in, in different ways and, and sometimes it might come out a little bit passionately like my heart's on my sleeve or something like that and that's okay. We've all got room and space for those sorts of things, right? If you, if you want to keep up with our, um, our correspondence and be on our email list, um, it'd be great to grab one of the welcome cards that we'll have around floating around. Put, pop your email on there. And uh, pass it on to uh, Pastor Jamie or one of the elders. Uh, sorry, one of the ushers, and uh, we'll be able to uh, put you on our on our list, and you'll receive that. But we met as an eldership during the week, and we looked at a few different things, and and uh, we we looked at a few scenarios, different stuff that's been going on in church, different stuff that's going on in the world around us. Um, some of it around this, the things that I've been writing. Some about the things that. Um, has been written by other pastors and stuff in this time. And uh, we had some uh, fantastic, I was going to say fantabulous, fantastic co uh, conversation around the things that were going. You know, I got, I got a little bit uh, antagonizing in there to try and promote some good, strong, hearty conversation. And, and the beauty was, even amidst all of that, we, we stood and we walked out completely unified. And I praise God for, for that opportunity. I praise God for our elders. We can. We can thrash things out and talk things openly and, and, and we can walk out of there knowing that you know, this church is, is well shepherded from the perspective of leadership and the perspective of oversight within it. And, and I get to stand up and, and, and encourage us from that point. And I say all that because I want us to continue to remain connected to the conversations that are going out and around. So if we can have your emails, that would be... Let love be genuine. Have all what is evil... Hold fast to what is good. We have to ask ourselves, is our love genuine in this time or is our love being eroded by constant attack upon you as an individual, upon your rights and your civil liberties, upon your rights of you know, um, what's going on around us with the pandemic and all that sort of stuff. Is, is, is my love under attack or is it genuine? Am I standing strong on the convictions of word or in opposing what is evil? Am I holding fast to what is good? And what is the measure? What is the marker of what is good in my life? And some people might say, well, the, the, the things that I've been researching are the, are the marker of good in my life. But, or 
or uh, my family being healthy, that's the marker of good on my life, or the ability to come to church, that's the marker of good on my life. But what happens when the church is, is being persecuted, like, say, some of the overseas countries, Afghanistan or uh, China or Korea or those sorts of things? What happens when the church, what, what happens if the marker of your life and being all is good is, is under attack? There's only one area that will help you hold fast to what is good, and that is the Word of God. This is the only unshifting, unchanging thing. It is, is the only foundation to base anything upon. And anything that you do, if it does not proceed from this, then does not come from a perspective of love. And the command there was, love be, let love be genuine. Amen? How do we know what's right? It's in Scripture. How do we know what's wrong? It's in Scripture. How do we know what to hate? Well, it's in Scripture. Amen? How do we know what to do? Well, again, we find it here in Scripture. Hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to that. Hold fast to the things that we've been commanded to do. Prayer. Meeting together. Being hospitable, all of these things that you can find in this passage of Scripture. The second is this, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. How amazing and how appropriate is that for us in this time? Be patient in tribulation. Patience. 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 Righto, put your hand up. Who was it that prayed for patience? Because I want to take you out the back and whip you. Because my patience is worn thin, right? No, that's not the reality. It's not the reality. The reality is patience is the fruit of the Spirit. Patience is your portion already. You don't have to pray for it, but you will get opportunities to test it anyway. You don't even have to pray for it. None of us have prayed for patience at this time, but we're all being tested in it. Okay? So patience can be a fruit or is the fruit of the Spirit and you can approach times like this with patience. And it says there, be patient in tribulation. It's almost like the Apostle Paul's promising that we're going to go through tribulation. Yeah, well, Jesus promised it. True? And now the Apostle Paul is. Peter, the Apostle Peter did as well. So, so be patient in tri tribulation. And he, he tells us how to be patient in tribulation by being constant in prayer. So if your patience is wearing thin, it tells me that your prayer life's a little bit off at the moment. True? Because the reverse is right as well. The second, the third, number 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Hmm. But that person's got a different opinion to me. My rights and my civil liberties are being persecuted. Right? Does that mean you should get all upset and fight? Or does it mean that you should pray and bless and go above and beyond in the reality of letting love be genuine? Verse 9. Bless and do not curse them. The government's persecuting me at the moment because I'm not allowed to sing in church. And in three weeks' time, you probably won't be allowed to be in church if you haven't got a vaccination, according to the government. The government's persecuting me. The re response? 
Bless them. Bless them. <laughs> the reason is because we're heaping burning coals on their head, as it says there in uh, verse 20. So they're either going to change or they're going to burn. Which one? Anyway, that's the truth. 18. <laughs> verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you. On who? That's right. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. With who? The person sitting next to me, my wife or my husband, my child. If you can live with peace with your child, you're doing pretty well in this day and age. But as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. True? Number 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with research. Good. Right. Okay. With good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Good. To show that you love, you must do something that is good. You find what is good and righteous and holy in here. Nowhere else. Amen? Nowhere else. So, they're the things that come out of this scripture as our reading, and it sort of just sets the platform for what I want to talk about. When I was talking to the oversight about this, I, f I kind of felt that I kind of want to pull people together. This is just how I told them. Just forgive my crudeness, right? But, but I'm still Gen X. So, so I kind of got a little bit of the boomers in me still. I kind of wanted to pull different groups of people together. They just lovingly touched them by the scruff of the neck and banged their heads together. <laughs> Right? I kind of wanted to do that. It's like, it's like what dads did back in my day when I was a kid, right? Come here. So, so I sort of thought, I can do that in about 15, 20 minutes. And then as I started to write and prepare, the Holy Spirit's just going, no, you've got to go back, you've got to go back, you've got to go back. Romans 12, Romans 13, Romans 14. And I'm like, how can I do that in 20, 30, 40 minutes? I can't. I need all day to do that, Lord. Anyway, it'll come out the way it comes out and you'll be gracious. I'm watching the time, but you'll be gracious to me because you're listening to the Lord. But, but genuinely, I want it to be let love be genuine, all right? First and foremost, because the Lord wants to say something to us. And it's not a headache, honestly. It really isn't. Jesus has called us to be a church in Christian unity, to inspire faith, to impart hope, and to express love. Romans 12 really fits the, the bill there, doesn't it? It's very important to me because it is from the posture of unity that we fulfill this call. And unity has been undermined. Unity is at trouble. Unity across all walks of life, I, I think is, we've seen one of the most disunifying seasons that we've ever experienced in our generations that are present today. Um, We can all be so caught up in things. Let me call that out as that's our natural humanity. The things that have got you caught up in this moment, here and now, whatever's going on in your mind, like there could be legitimately someone in the room that's caught up with the news yesterday that they found traces of coronavirus in the sewage treatment system in Griffith. 
So what, whatever you're caught up with now, understand one thing. You could be caught up in what is the basic human nature. Human nature is not God nature. Human nature is based upon the fall. Human nature came in when Adam took the apple or whatever it was and ate it and the knowledge of good and evil became apparent. That's when we became apparent that we had a human nature. It's called the sin nature. So whatever's caught you up in your humanity now, I understand that that is real and it's your reality in this moment. But it's not a kingdom reality. And we've got to call that out because we're called up to what God is saying in his word because he's preparing us for something that is far greater. Because I strongly believe that Jesus is not too far from returning. The way the enemy is working so hard to destroy the church and undermine her presence within the community. It's so real how, he, how people are so divided that they're even walking away from faith. And that's a strong thing. When we're focused on the natural environment, we easily miss the spiritual environment and the biblical mandate of God. Which is why Jesus told us to not look with the eyes of our, with our natural eyes, but with our spiritual eyes. It's the sense of we have to look with the eyes of faith. True? So a few things I want to say here. Kind of setting the scene a little bit because I feel that there's lots of things competing for our attention today. And what that's doing is it's stealing vital oxygen from us and it's clouding our spiritual judgments. There's like a, a covert operation that's undermining the unity of the church. And we've got to call that out, find it, what it is, kick the little enemy to the curb and at the same time keep moving in truth. The first thing I want to say is I've been talking about in our correspondence the fear and faith factor. People talking to me, ringing me up and saying, should I take the jab? Um, I'm not a doctor. But I'm a, absolutely I'm a, someone that can give spiritual guidance. And you know, I've said it before, but my advice is as long as you do it in faith, you have nothing to fear. The media, the government, the pandemic, it's all geared for fear. It's a system of the world. No matter how you look at it, government is still a system of the world. While it may have been instituted by God, it's been inflicted by the, gov by the systems of the world, which is why God tells us to pray for it. It's, it's all geared to scare you into submission and I'm not saying in that that it's a conspiracy. I'm just saying that that's what the world system is about. Satan is called the God of this world. Praise the Lord that Jesus went and took the, king, the keys of the kingdom back from him and he's given it to his church. And the gates of hell cannot prevail against his church. So the answer to the government system is the church. No wonder... 
unity is under attack. The basics are that we are sons of God due to faith. True? We run counter to the world. Whatever we do should always be done in a spirit of faith. I'll put it in these terms. Fear, when it overruns us, controls us. Which is why, no, I won't go there because that'll rob something from Rodney's message. Fear is all about control. When you fear something, it, be, it, 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 it it's highlighted to the point that you can't see anything else but that fear. So automatically, we are people of faith. If I fear something, then I've wrongly misplaced my faith. Read through the book of Proverbs, and the very first thing that sticks out to us is... Fear the Lord, which is right-placed faith. Because if you truly fear the Lord, then nothing that could be seen as fear that is worldly could ever come upon you. Nor, or, sorry, not nor, or could it affect you from an eternal standpoint. And we're not of this world, and we have to put that straight first in our life. We no longer belong to this world. We belong to a kingdom that is perpetual, continual, eternal. So when, when, I, when my fear is rightly placed, it means my faith is rightly placed. My faith is in God, but when I am in fear, my faith is in the thing that I fear. So therefore, the very thing that I fear, I believe will come upon me. It works completely counter. So that which you fear eventually affects your life, right? But that which you fear, if it's rightly placed in God, has an eternal effect on our life. And he reveals that through Jesus. So the basic way of saying that is fear is misplaced faith, right? If you're fearing that a sickness or a is going to come upon you or, uh, or something else is going to be taken away from you, ultimately that's going to be happening. But when you put your faith in God and you abide in his word, all of a sudden you get a different outlook. And I think, I feel we've done a disservice by using uh, fear of the Lord from a context of just just saying that it's, I'm in fear of living without God. Because that's the way it's been kind of used. That's the sense of, what would I be without God? So therefore, I need to fear God. Do you know what I mean? It's used in the wrong context. It's not that kind of fear. It's rightly placed fear. And when I fear God in that way, I'm not fearing anything else because the acknowledgement is God is my protector. 
God is my healer. God is my provider. God is my salvation. God is my liberty. Like you could go on and on and on. But, but this is the fear faith factor. And the, the reality for us is, whatever, if, if whatever we fear comes upon us, let's put it in Paul's words. Romans 14.23 finishes off with, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If I misplace my fear, and I fear the things that are going to come eventually upon me, ultimately I've put myself from a position of being in Christ to being in fear, and I've put myself in a position of sin. Didn't Jesus deal with our sin position? Did, Did Jesus deal with our sin position? Absolutely he did. I'll give you an example, because... Remember when I went through the Holy Spirit um, series and, 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 and the feedback I got from that was we wanted a little bit more of a examples in a sense of testimony. I'll give you a, a really good testimony. Uh, this one I read a number of years ago, but it keeps popping up in front of me at the moment, so I'm going to use it now. And that's um, John G. Lake. Have you heard of John G. Lake, anyone? John G. Lake. Um, John G. Lake was around when the bubonic plague was around. So we're talking very similar situations, okay? The bubonic plague obviously was a far more devastating um, um, thing, but, but it doesn't mean this one's any less devastating. I'm not saying that in any way. But this is John G. Lake. This is what he said to the doctors. The reality was, reality was that people were dying and people were dying in their homes and the stench of death and the sickness remained in the homes. And they couldn't get enough volunteers to go and remove the, the bodies. So, so they were trying to rally up people to do this, and John G. Lake was one of the people that responded in faith. Highly infectious disease. This is what John G. Lake said. He said, I believe that as long as I keep my soul in contact with the living God, so that his spirit is flowing into my soul and body, that no germ will ever attach itself to me, for the spirit of God will kill it. His scriptural undertaking for this was Romans 8, verse 2, which Pastor Micah read, which said, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And they tested this. John G. Lake got the doctors to take the foam from the lungs from a person who died from the bubonic plague, put it under a microscope and confirmed that it was alive and then they rubbed it on his skin, on his hand. And under a microscope, the germs were killed by touching his skin. This is what it is to rightly place faith. This is what it is to live like Jesus. This is what it is that we're all called to do. And I can hear what's going off in your head. I'm not Jesus. I'm not John G. Lake. I'm not the Apostle Paul. No, you are the person that God's created you to be. And we're all on a journey of conformity up under Christ. And it's not to belittle us. It's to call us up, call us up, call us up. That This is the standard of the kingdom over the world. 
And we can all live like this if only we would believe it. A few verses later, Romans 8, 11 continues, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The disclaimer there is it's not talking about eternal life. He's talking about life to your mortal bodies, the one that you're in now, not your future body, the life that you're in now, the flesh and blood that you have. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is able to keep you alive. And that's what rightly placed faith is. Do we need doctors? Absolutely. Do I put my faith in them? No. I put my faith in the word. But I trust some of the things that they say to me when I need it. My blood, just to give you an example, my blood pressure hit 188 over 116 about eight weeks ago. I haven't been well, right? I've been sick for about four months. My blood pressure hit that level. Without intervention, I would have died. Does that say I'm lacking faith? No. Absolutely it doesn't. Okay? Am I praying for deliverance from that? Absolutely I am. But I'm also doing what the doctor told me to do at the moment, so my blood pressure is sitting around 140, still ready to explode at any moment, but it's nowhere near at that point where I'm going to lose it, right? Sometimes you've got to do these things. But it doesn't mean that we give up faith. It doesn't mean I put my faith in that little pill I take every morning. It means I'm putting my faith in Jesus that that little pill won't affect me the way that it could affect me. Well, I'm taking too long here. But this, this whole sense around faith and fear needs addressing. And part of that is around grace and truth. Last week I talked about grace and truth in our video and, and I spent a little bit more time on it in the recording of that, the re-recording of that. I said this, um, and I wrote this in the email that I sent you as well, because I need to remind us of this, that truth without grace results in harshness, legalism, condemnation, and ultimately fear. On the other hand, grace without truth results in compromise and hypocrisy. Don't ever call me a compromising Christian, right? But don't ever call me a legalistic Christian either. Jesus is the only one that came balanced in both Grace, well, not balanced. I was saying, I'm going to use the word well-seasoned, full of, flavoursome, grace and truth. So what we end up with is fear, faith or the grace-truth divide that is easy to solve by conforming to Christ. The second issue is the issue of law, the issue of the governing authorities. And the church is called to be the hope of the world or even the hope to the world. And we spent seven weeks talking about this last week in the first lockdown when we were still able to gather for half of that. And uh, through that time, I likened the church to this kingdom principle that we are like leaven. Do you remember? The kingdom of God is like leaven. Eventually, it goes through and permeates the whole world. How does it do so? It subtly works through the lump, not by force. It's only right to establish this. It's only right to say what I'm about to say. The church makes a grave mistake when it feels that it can dictate to governing authorities. Look at history. Look at the Roman Catholic Church or the Church of England and the way that it dictated to whatever was going on in the times and the corruption that came from it. 
ultimately what happens is when legalism takes hold in the church and the church tries to dictate things, it, it, it has a very negative result. It doesn't mean we need to stand down and not, uh, not do things legally, no. It means, it means that we do it the right way. And I say that because we must obey God's word over the governing authorities. There are times when the government might overstep, absolutely. And there are times when we've got to stand up and, and make ourselves heard so that they understand that we're not just pushovers, absolutely. But we shouldn't be dictating in these times what we want. What we should be doing is praying. Romans 13, 1-5 says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. I don't think... Steve Rand was excluded from that. I think it's a little bit unfair sometimes to think that our pastors are going to stand up and dictate to governing authorities when it's not the call of the word in this situation. In this situation. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now put this in context for us. This was the Roman government that he was talking about at the time. The Roman government didn't mind pulling out the sword whether it was just or unjust, in using it, it would use it. The church was completely persecuted. It didn't have any standing until Constantine in that area. All of that stuff, it was completely, completely under persecution. And yet, Paul's writing, there is no authority except from God and those that, have, that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist it will incur judgment. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad conduct. So it's not saying anything about standing up against them. It's saying you've got to do it right. Bad conduct is what results in punishment. Bad conduct. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. How do we know what is good? It comes from the marker of love. For he, is a God, uh, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoing. Therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Please put conscience in your mind for a moment. Just remember that when we come back to it. So what, what's happening in the church? In society, absolutely. It's happening in society and we've got no right to talk about what's happening in society from that perspective. It's when it infiltrates the church, we've got to talk about it. And in the sense, it's starting to infiltrate the church to the point of its detriment. It's detriment because my opinion is better than your opinion. Your opinion is better than my opinion. And it just goes round and around and around and it causes disunity. And the church is the one place that must be unified, absolutely diverse in thought, absolutely diverse in understanding around the things that are going on based upon what I will share at the end on conscience. But, the only thing that remains true is God's word. It's the only thing that we can found ourselves on in moving forward. And I'm commanded by the word to love all. Whether they're in the church or out the church, wherever they are, I'm commanded to love all and to pray for the good of all. In particular, 
my enemies. So there's camps. And I'll touch on the camps really quickly. There's, the, there's one camp. I'm not putting anyone... I'll, I'll say this first. This is something to help understand. There are people in this church, families in this church, who have lost family members overseas to COVID-19. That is the truth. So you'll never hear me say that it's not real. Because sickness is real. It's a part of this world. Do I understand it as what it is? No. But I know it's happening. And I know there are many in this church who have not only got family members, but have got people they grew up with in their neighbourhood who have perished in the same thing. I know that. Because I've had to sit with them or call them or talk to them or whatever. I know also that there are people who are stranded and stuck in this country who have not been able to go home for more than 18 months who are worried sick about their families. If I was to stand here and say that that person was wrong to worry about their families after not seeing their families for 18 months and hearing that their neighbour had died or something like that, I would be callous of heart. Does it mean I'm not entitled to my opinion? No. But we'll just talk about them. We've been pushed into a position of fearing the disease to a point where we have to have the jab in most cases. It'll be mandatory across New South Wales without them saying mandatory very soon. Is that right or wrong? I'm not going to say. Do I agree with it? No. But people are taking the jab because they're being forced to. People are taking the jab because they want it, because they believe it's the hope to get through the pandemic. People are taking the jab because they think it's the only way they can get out of lockdown. People are taking the jab because they need to stay in work because of coercion. That's the reality. That is the reality. It's my reality. To keep my job, I'm going to have to take the jab. That will come out and it will be law midweek this week. I can tell you that in New South Wales. So, my choice has now been taken from me. The jab, for the people who are pro the jab, it's become a, if you don't have the jab, we can't talk to you event. The people who have the jab or don't want the jab have looked at the people who are saying that and they're going, but you're taking my freedom my right of choice, I don't want to talk to you anyway. And then in the middle of that, you've got the, the person that's just saying, not on any basis of whether it's going to affect them or disaffect them or whatever, they're just saying, you're just taking my liberties now, my social liberties, my societal liberties, my, my democratic right to choose. There's another camp, whether they're for it or against it, they might be completely for it. And I can tell you, I'm kind of in that camp. Beforehand, I was booked in and didn't mind having the jab because I kind of thought, well, you know what? God's numbered the days of my life, no one else. And if I'm called to ministry, I'm called because of his word and his convictions of the word on my life. Therefore, I can take it knowing that it's not going to affect me because God controls the health of my life. That's my standard. And it should be everyone's standard is to get the peace of the word in their life before you make a decision. 
But you know what changed for me? The moment they took my civil right away. That's it. That's what changed. I've always been that kind of person. I will do it because I feel it's right. You tell me I have to do it, I'm sorry, I'm out. And it puts confusion in my mind. It puts confusion in people's minds. So we've got all these different camps fighting over it, fighting over it, fighting over it. And you know what happens? Fear, 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 fear. Fear of getting COVID from someone not jabbed. This person telling you, I can't give you COVID no more than you can catch it because that vaccine doesn't work anyway. <laughs> like the toing and froing, and, and all of a sudden I'm told I can't welcome someone into the church because they're not vaccinated. Toing and froing. Fear, 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 rowing my boat with one arm. Fear, 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 fear. Reinforcing what? My fear. How do I reinforce my fear? I keep in my lane and I research only about the things that are going to make me right. I keep in my lane and I research all the things that says that I'm right. Truth, right? I'm in my lane and I'm walking around and all I'm doing is looking at the things that tell me I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. When does this come into it? When does this come into the decision? When does this come in and tell me when I'm right and when I'm wrong? I'm right. I dare you to say I'm wrong. Scriptures is the focus. Not the blind leading the blind leading the blind because we're so rattled with fear. That's the three camps. The fourth camp is that one. I was just like, oh, I'm out. I'm the phlegmatic one just sitting over here minding my own business. <laughs> I'm kind of in that camp as well, right? Because, because the government told us that we had the choice, we had the chance to wait and see what happened across the globe. They did it to themselves. They had the, we're sitting there and we're waiting to see what happens in America and the UK. We're waiting to see, but they're not looking at what's happened in Israel or in Sweden or here or there. Like, we're just waiting to see what our friends are doing. Oh, crap, look at all the numbers. Oh, crap, let's just keep putting this out there. Oh, Sydney's up to 1,529 cases, 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 cases. And I'm sitting there going, oh, Sydney can have the jab before I get it. That's all right. I can sit on my ledge sitting, sitting on the fence for a little while, getting spooners in my butt. Because I don't have to worry about the jab for a while, right? But eventually, someone sitting on the fence has got to make a decision. The one arm of the boat, of the row, I used that analogy last week in a different context, but we keep going around the same circle, the same circle, the same circle, the same circle. Even if we are sceptical, we believe some of the most ridiculous concepts because we, we end up I've heard the vaccine camp say some pretty ridiculous things just the inquiries over here as well I'm not going to point them out but some of the claims over here is enough to make me question 
whether it's right or wrong, whether it's good or bad, whether it's not. But the thing that helps me navigate it is this, it always will be. This is Satan's tactic, it's his scheme. And it's to divide and conquer because it's formulated to have us focus on ourselves. Our rights, our fears. And when we focus so much upon that, you may argue about your motive, but eventually what will happen is we miss the hurting people in front of us. Grace is removed and fear prevails. Romans 13, 8 to 10, Paul continues, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. We had people leave church because we didn't have strong enough COVID restrictions in our church last year. Where was the love to come and say, can we talk about this? Because this is something that's important to me. We... We have probably recently lost people because of their, their own personal conviction because they, they can't stand the lies that are coming out from both sides of the camp and they might be so pro-vaccine that they can't stand what's coming out of everyone else and they're going to leave the church because the ultimate reality is Owe anyone, owe nothing or no one anything except to love each other. They can't look through the eyes of love and give grace in that perspective. Everyone is entitled to their opinion. But if the opinion doesn't line up to scripture, then that opinion needs to either die or be kept to yourself. But when your opinion starts to become forceful, then you're entering into a legality area, and that is the area of truth. This is my truth, my truth, my truth. Everyone loves that term, don't they? My truth, right? We can't do that. The command is, owe no one anything except to love each other. This, this is our reality. And this is Paul's genius. Romans 12 tells us how to live. Romans 13 brings it up that as far as it's possible to us, we've got to live in love and righteously before everybody and anybody. That's as far as it's possible in us. Now that means the only time that that's not possible is when that restriction has come and it's been imposed upon us. I'm not talking about a vaccine. I'm talking about the... the the government rule has come and stripped away completely, like I'm talking about an authoritarian thing, right? 
But while we've got the freedoms to do the things we do, we've got to live according to Romans 13 in this area. Romans 14 is the next part of this genius because it brings us back to the area of conscience. What is of conscience? What is of uh, thought in the concept of what is right for me when it's dealing with an issue that is not sin and is not holiness? Because the Bible is very clear on what is sin and the Bible is very clear on what is the standard of righteousness of what it is to live holy before the Lord. So those are the things that affirm within our faith. The things, that, the things of conscience the Bible is, is not very clear on except for how to live with them. Romans 14 touches on these areas of conscience. Romans 14 brings us to this point. Almost like we could have written it today. In Romans 14, we've got two groups of people being addressed. The first group of people are those who abstain from eating meat bought from the marketplace, or in fact, those who abstain from eating meat full stop, and those who eat meat. Those who eat meat could have been making those who couldn't eat meat feel bad, and vice versa, from a judgment perspective. But yet Paul talks about it as it's a area of conscience all the meat in the marketplace was sacrificed to idols do you know that in that time i'm sorry if you eat chicken today it has been prayed and and uh prayed over by a muslim who is offering that for halal certification you eat lamb most of that's the same nowadays you eat Vegemite, it's halal now, even though it comes from beer. Work that one out. <coughs> it's not a meat process, but it's still the same thing, right? It's something that has been used in some form of uh, act that has been done to a false or foreign god. So the immature Christians, the new Christians, those who were struggling in this area, wanted to do the right thing, so they abstained from meat. And when they abstained from the meat, those who were eating meat were making them kind of feel a bit guilty and vice versa. Because if you tell me I can't do something, I feel a bit guilty if I do it in front of you. Right? But if I feel like a T-bone steak tonight, I'm going to go home and have a T-bone steak. If you feel like a veggie burger to go for lunch today, go out and buy yourself a veggie burger. I'm not going to judge you for that, right? That's an area of conscience. It's an area of... Whatever you choose, it's got nothing to do with what the Word of God's talking about. I shouldn't make you feel guilty for that, and I shouldn't feel guilty for that, and I shouldn't be condemned for the thoughts around if I eat meat or if I don't eat meat. In fact, like I said in the earlier service, if you're going to go and have a veggie burger I'm, and you invite me, I'm possibly going to go and give it a try. I've had a lentil burger before, and I didn't mind it. Definitely wasn't meat, but it was still nice. You know what I mean? Like, they're just areas of conscience. It's about... it's it's. It's a non-event, but yet I've talked to Christian brothers and sisters from a different faith, and, and for them it's a serious event. You know, they abstain from pork, they abstain from um, lobster or prawns, they abstain from all sorts of things because they think, it's the, they think it's the right thing to do, living on a legal standpoint, when it's not what 
the reality is it's a conscience issue in today's day and age. Jesus dealt with all of the things of the law. The same issue came up around worship day. What day do you worship? The same issue came up. Some think you have to worship on the Sabbath. Others think it can be every day. Like, where are you in your faith on your growth of journey and your maturity in that area? This is what Romans 14 is dealing with. Where are you in all of this? And, and if someone's got the faith to believe that they have to do it on the Sabbath, then don't judge them for that. If someone's got the faith to believe that we worship God on every day, don't judge them for that. In fact, see it from a maturity issue. That's a conscience decision, not anything else. Conscious decision that they're making. He writes this in verse 1. For, for the, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinion. That weak in faith is not anything to do with you're weak because you don't eat meat. It's, it's, it's about maturity. It's about that you haven't yet understood. And, and he, gives us the, he gives us this whole thing around giving thanks. It says, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise and the one who abstains, or let the one who eats despise, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. Who is able to make him stand? Who? The Lord. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honour to the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honour to the Lord. Since he gives thanks to the to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honour to the Lord, and gives thanks to the Lord, for none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. If we settle this issue that my life is not mine, my life belongs to God. I think this deals with all the divisive stuff really quickly because I'm called up to a different standard when my life belongs to Jesus. And issues of conscience. I've got enough ability to be able to hear this person and understand where they're coming from and I have enough ability because I'm in Christ to hear this person and understand where they're coming from and look for the place of faith in the middle of that because my role is to call you up to a standard of faith to call you up to a standard of living like Jesus like what would Jesus do in this situation I'm old enough to be around as a kid in the 90s where I had me old what would Jesus do armband what would Jesus do in this situation would Jesus be condemning the person taking the vaccine? Would, or would Jesus be condemning the person who's not taking the vaccine? Would Jesus be condemning the person who's feeling like... Do you realise Judas was a zealot? He wasn't only a thief. 
He was also a zealot. And Jesus still welcomed him to the twelve. What would Jesus do in this situation is a very appropriate question. I also had a push armband. Remember the old push? Pray until something happens. What a, what a timely reminder. Because if I don't know what Jesus will do in a situation, I need to pray until something happens. And that something is usually in me. It has to shift our mindset or a, or a rock-hard heart in me before I can even talk to someone about these issues. Does that make sense? So what would Jesus do in this situation? Well, Jesus would sit with the person who's about to be ostracized and Jesus would sit with the person who's pointing fingers and, and Jesus would sit with the person who's rallying and lobbying and doing all sorts of things because Jesus would not only want to understand them, he would want to call them up to something different. As a church, we, we have to understand Scripture reveals to us that there's two different judgment seats. There's two different judgments that you as an individual Christian will go through. The first is if you're a believer of Jesus and you've put your faith into him and his completed work, then you've gone through the first already, the great white throne judgment seat. Because, because that is settled upon the issue of Jesus and you are justified by faith. It's a legal proceeding and you are one of the brothers and sisters, a co-heir in Christ based upon your faith in Jesus. You can check these out, 1 Corinthians 3, 10-17 and 2 Corinthians 5, 10. There's a second. Paul finishes this passage of scripture in Romans 14, verse 12. He says, So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. This, this dialogue around conscience, this dialogue around things that don't seem to matter too much in Scripture, where God was a little bit silent on them, but yet throughout you can find markers to help you unpack the areas of conscience, for sure, absolutely. But these things, God is going to give you an opportunity to give account for what you do with the areas of conscience. So if, if your area of conscience says one thing, but you don't have enough faith to allow them to be other things in the situation, you will be suffering loss because you haven't offered grace in that season. You've operated in a life of fear and not out of a place of faith. You will be judged on this attitude. The same way you'll be judged upon the attitude of whether or not you want to share the gospel in a way that people can understand. You, can, you, will, you will receive great reward or you will receive loss when you enter the kingdom. Because it's about conscience and conviction. Conscience is those things. Conviction are the things that I'm called up and convicted to do. And as the church, we are called up to be the hope in the world. If we settle this issue then I can settle the issue of conscience very easily in myself. It's very easy. You're enti all entitled to your own opinion and you're all entitled to it under the one proviso. Because you no longer live for yourself, you live under Christ, your conviction and your conscience is to be founded upon the word of God. Romans 12, 
9 to 21 is a fantastic place to start. Where are we to be in all of this? Grace and truth must be our seasoning to be, reflect the maturity of Christ. Here's a simple thought on church. Who we're called to be. Calling us up under the standard, the glorious standard of Jesus. We'd be called to, we are called to be salt and light to the community. Can we do this effectively if we're reinforcing our arguments all the time? Sometimes we've got to be about our business and trusting that God's going to be about his. If we can't get along inside the church, we've succumbed to Satan's strategy and the world will never see salt and light. Matthew 5, 13, 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Imagine, imagine a world where the worldly can't accuse the churchgoers with hypocrisy. How can we ever hope to be a a preserving, have a preservation effect upon a nation if we can't even get it right inside? You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, but on a stand and give it light that all the house, or all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Don't put works before love. If, if you're doing things for other people because you feel compelled to do it, because if you didn't do it, then you wouldn't be a good Christian, then all that's going to burn up on that day because if it's not done because your first motive is love and that can't come unless you understand who Jesus is and how he loves you first and foremost like if you then then it's all going to burn up so let love be the marker I can tell you if we be a church like that then we would understand a whole lot more about how we can be salt and light to our community why is this important? Why is this important at this time that, that I call this out and bring us to this point where we, where we get shaken up on the inside, where our emotions are being stirred up, whether you agree or whether you disagree? Why am I doing this? Am I trying to be antagonistic? Absolutely not. I'm doing this because I've sensed a real shift in our church in the last six months. The first major shift was... Because of chasing all of this stuff and the way the government had made us do all, put all of these restrictions and things in, 
we forgot the simple basis of what it was to be a loving and welcoming community. Welcome home over our door might be the sign, but is it actually the reality of our hearts as a body? That's a huge call. That's something that I've felt in the impression of the Holy Spirit is grieved over. That people would be asked if they've booked in before they've been asked, how are you doing? Do you know what I mean? That we've lost a concept of love that was so eminent in this place. And I fear something. Not because, not because I f- feel that it's a reality. I fear, that it, I fear that if I don't talk about it, then it will become the reality. And that is this. While the government's doing all of their things to make it impossible to do what we need to do, there is one thing I am surely not welcoming and I will not allow, and that is the rejection of someone walking into this place who needs refuge. Who needs refuge. We're called to be a city of refuge. The the, the concept, Jesus fulfilled this concept, but the concept really is There were six cities of refuge that were set up in all of Israel through the 12 tribes. Jesus became our refuge for all sinners. And we're meant to remodel that. We're meant to model that as the church because there is a time coming when people are going to be ostracized from the community because of something simple. Where is the church in that moment? Are we going to stand and reject or are we going to welcome and open? And if, if we've come to this point where we're more about the stuff than about how we feel and how others are doing, how someone else is feeling and how they're doing, then I'm at fear that there are going to be people that are going to stand there and saying, you're doing the wrong thing by telling that person they're welcome to come. And I'm not opening us up for that. Because this is the marker and that's the line in the sand. All are welcome to church. They can be in the depths of living in sin and they are still welcome because they need to hear the message of hope. It's not my job or your job to turn that around. It's Jesus' job. And if we stand at the door and say not welcome, I can tell you. I will stand before God and I will offer. I will, I will suffer more than loss. That one's on my watch and that ain't happening. City is supposed to be a refuge. This church is to be a refuge. How can we turn others away based upon false opinions or false declarations of your convictions? So the call is... Let's get our head out of the one stream and back into love, back into the scriptures, back into the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And please don't charge me for saying that you're not doing this from a good motive. Hear what I'm saying amongst it. I don't need the defense. What I want you to understand is there is a better way. There is a better way. There's always a better way than what we're seeing with our own eyes. Calling us up to what God is saying. 
if we're caught up in fear, we'll never be like Jesus and we'll never be like people who are remarkably served others in, on their sickbeds. John G. Lake wasn't the only one. There's thousands upon thousands upon thousands who have given up their life serving people. It happens. It's millions upon millions. I cannot do it justice. I don't want people feeling like the church is failing. Number one, the gospel's not restricted in Australia. While we might not be able to sing under our health orders, there's nothing stopping you singing in your homes. There's nothing stopping you singing on the street. It's very funny for me that the Christians in the room could say, we can't come to church and sing when you've got the open slather to go to the streets and sing. To me, that's God calling us up and saying, why, why, don't, why don't you sing in the street? Why don't you let joy fill the airs? I get it. I understand it. I understand the fear behind it. I understand. Don't get me wrong. I get it. But we've got freedom to preach the gospel we got freedom to pray we got freedom to worship we got freedom to jump on any area of of job or government calling that we want as christians it won't be very long we'll have uh, religious protections in place in new south wales that's not far away the bill is before parliament and it is the recommendation that's the discrimination rights bill and all that sort of stuff You've got to put it into perspective. The one I'm not willing at the moment is to tell, let the government tell me who can come into a church and who can't. That's the one I'm not willing for. That's the one that's worth writing about. That's the one that's worth lobbying over. That's the one that's worth... A, a, look, if it gets to it, a, a good, silent, stand in the open... Um, what's it called? Protest. I'm not against protesting in any way, shape or form. I'm against the fact that they get hijacked very quickly from both sides, people in the protest and people defending in the protest. It gets hijacked very quickly because people's opinions. So that's why I'm like, well, that's probably not the loving thing to do at this moment. But I'd encourage all of you guys to start writing letters and doing all of that sort of stuff because it shows that you care. Are they going to make a difference? I've got no idea if they're going to make a difference. But at the moment, it's what we've got. And we've got to trust the law in the sense that it's going to come through. Is it, is, am I scared that some things are going to come through I'm not going to be happy with? Well, that's the reality of government. But the reality for us is the gospel cannot be chained. The persecuted church is growing faster than the free church in across the world. Do I want a persecuted church? Absolutely not. But the reality is, it's time we shook that one up, guys. It's time we started to share the gospel. It's time we started to pray. This is the battle we are in now. You can go read it, 2 Corinthians 10.35, uh, sorry, 3 to 5, Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. We're not in a battle against flesh and blood. We've never been in that battle. Our weapons are not weapons of this world. And yet, 
when I see people calling things together, I find that it, it, it's under the guise of we're doing this as love, but I feel that the intent is not the same. It's not a kingdom intent. I've tried very hard over recent months to call our attention to prayer and proclamation. Our pastors have been heightening prayer. It saddens me when four people log on or five people log on to a Zoom prayer meeting. It saddens me when we have open prayer nights and we've got six or eight people here. That tells me we're not a church of prayer. It tells me we've bought into fear. It tells me we've bought into understanding that we're looking at things with the world's eyes and not with things with a kingdom perspective. We are higher than that. And if we don't unite around prayer, we will lose the right to share the gospel. That's our fight. This is all about focusing on the one target. Deal with the deal with the schism that's in the church. I can't deal with what's going on out there, but I can call it up as a father of this house that in the church there are schisms. That's the work of the devil. No matter what you believe or what you don't believe, that's the work of the devil. Come back to Scripture. It is the foundation on which we live. It is the foundation of which I can call you a brother or a sister in Christ because of what Jesus did. It's that foundation that I can look at you with love and respect and honour, as it says in our reading from Romans chapter 12. That I can honour you even in the midst of not being able to agree with you. And you can do the same with me. But the call to prayer is that important that many, if we do not do this, I am, I am convinced many will miss the coming of our Lord. Sadly, it could be some within this church body. So this is what I'm calling us to. Because without an action point, it's all just words. And I don't want it to sit heavy. I want it to be understood that this is God calling us up here. So we're going to pray. Pray as a body. I'm calling a 28-day prayer and fasting as a body. Obviously, you've got the right to choose in and out of that, but if you belong to the body, then I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit speaking deeply to your heart now. I'm not asking for you to fast for 28 days of food, but I am asking you to fast at least once a week. At the back, there's a sheet there. Pastor Mike has got a sheet. We want to know that every day is covered by at least two people in the church fasting. Now, Obviously, you need to be wise in fasting. We've never, ever told people to go and do fasting incorrectly. When you fast, you drink water. You need water. Right? If you choose to do a full fast, 
That's between you and God. It's not because your pastor stood here and said you need to stop eating. Fasting is between you and God first and foremost, and therefore God sets the fast. You could choose with God to fast fully. You could choose to fast the daylight hours. You could choose to fast from particular foods uh, that you've been feeling that God hasn't wanted you to eat for a while. Do that in consultation with the Holy Spirit. But do it still, prayerfully. If you're on some form of medication that you need to have food, don't feel guilty about that. Eat what you can. Some people need a little bit, so take juice or some clear broth or something like that if you feel that you can't take food. Or like I said, do it over a shorter period of time, the daylight hours or something. Watch yourself. Be, be safe. But at the same time, be prayerful. The whole point of fasting is to be, be um, <clears throat> abstaining from something to bring discipline so that you can put yourself in a position clearly to hear from God. You're not trying to bend God's ear or win God's arm. You're not trying to get something from God. You're trying to... You're bringing yourself in submission to the Lord and saying, I belong to you and I'm yours alone. Romans 13, 11, 14 says it like this. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. The salvation is nearer to us now than when we were first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armour of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarrelling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's where I feel fasting comes into this. If you feel you can do a 28-day fast in the presence of God, in, this, in what God is sustaining you, that's between you and God. But I want us to be serious. Each day, around 7 o'clock at night, might come out a little bit earlier depending on the day, but around 7 o'clock at night, in our, through our church app, you'll receive a notification and in there will be the prayer point for the next 24 hours and a passage of scripture for you to meditate on. Four different weeks, therefore there's four different um, focuses. This is not about that right and we need to move forward because there is a place that is needed and there are people that are going to be coming seeking God. That's to your homes, to your workplaces and even to this building. And if we do not position ourselves, we will miss what God is doing in the midst of this trouble. God is able to turn it all around for what? Our good. To help us focus on this, some of you are going to hate this. A couple of them were a bit gracious in the first service, but that's good. I'm calling a 28-day social media fast for the entire church. No Facebook, no Instagram, whatever socials you're on, 
delete the app or turn it off so that you don't get your notifications. I feel that social media has tainted a lot of our views and it's being used so intently to undermine us at the moment. Yes, there are good things on it, but at the moment while we're fasting, I want to see our attention to be on the Lord and not on our own arguments. So I'm asking that we seriously consider prayer and fasting and staying off social media. That's why I said grab the church app. Pastor Micah again has got a list there of the next week's prayer points. If you're not gonna if you're not able to use the app, you can get the prayer points here each week and uh, we'll pass them out and you'll know and you'll be able to continue on. But the app is the one we're going to use ultimately to get that out and focused. We'll also use the app for a couple of videos and possibly the odd podcast that we push out just as a reflection in the time. Uh, your pastors have prayed into this and we've, we've led and we feel what we believe is a good pathway for us for the next 28 days. Along with the thing around the 28 days, fasting from social media, I would encourage you all I would strongly say turn off the news. But if you can't turn off the news for any reason, if you need to know whether Griffith's in lockdown, <laughs> I'm sure you'll find, quick, find out quick enough. But turn off the news. Use the time that you would read the news or look at the news. Use that time to pray. Stop searching the internet, the arguments that are reinforcing your mindsets. And don't send any videos to anyone. 28 days, let's make this a holy time where we seek the Lord. You want to turn the government around? The weapon we have is prayer. If the Lord leads you, take the time to write a letter and pray for your brothers and sisters. And read Romans 12, like I said before which is about sharing love. Prayer, fasting, together in the Lord. Amen. Because I feel the Lord wants to do something significant in this time and he wants our focus to be upon him, to seek first the kingdom of God. It's time to see prayer and the gospel change our reality. Acts chapter 4, 29 is my closing scripture as Rod's about to come and take us through communion. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they have prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with all boldness. The apostles were told not to preach the name of Jesus. That was reality. And they went with the words of the Lord and the convictions of Scripture and what was right in the eyes of the Lord and they prayed for boldness and when they, with their prayer for boldness, they believed that God was going to stretch out his hand and bring healing and miracles. And this is what I'm asking. That we pray for boldness. That we pray for a unifying spirit. 
that we pray for revelation and understanding and wisdom in this season. And that we pray that God would move miraculously through his church and that he would move miraculously through his church. Pastor Rodney's going to lead us in a time around communion that is going to deal with repentance. And I feel that's setting us up for the perspective of leading into the 28-day fast and our 28-day prayer and fasting. And like I said, let's stand to our feet as Pastor Rodney comes and let us pray for boldness. Boldness for the kingdom. Boldness for the gospel. Boldness for the Holy Spirit to move amongst his people and through his people. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. And we stand here, Lord, with open hearts and we allow your word to sit. Thank you that it is by the power of love that we can overcome. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to draw lines and sit on the fence and say that we're not welcome. But, Lord, that we can come together and we can offer grace in seasons and times and thought above and beyond because we are called to love. And as you draw us together in unity, Lord, I pray that you will lead those who are called, Lord, in boldness to stand upon your word, to stand upon the name of Jesus, to stand, Lord God, and to continue to proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And Father, as we do, as we do stand on your word and as we do stand, Lord, for the conviction of the gospel, we pray that you would stretch out your arm. We pray, Lord God, that you would move mightily amongst us. We pray that you would release your Holy Spirit in such a way, Lord God, that we would see signs and wonders and miracles. Lord, not for that, not for us, but Lord God, that we would see the sinner repent, that we would see the sick healed, we would see the lame walk, Lord God, that we would see the dead raised, Lord, both spiritually and naturally. All of these things, Lord God, that you would stretch out your hand, not because we've retreated, not because we've hidden behind the lines, but because we've moved out in boldness and we've been sharing the gospel in faith, oh Lord God. We thank you for this. Lord, I pray for each person here sitting here today under the sound of my voice and even each person at home watching this video. Father, we thank you that you move and that you're moving us, Lord God, to this time where we can draw closer to you in a context, Lord, of prayer and closer to you in the context of fasting, Lord God, because we can't get any closer than where we already are because we are already in Christ but we can move closer in our attitudes of our mind and we can move closer in the attitudes of our heart and we can move closer in the actions of our lives. So today, Lord, we pray that we would move closer to you in these areas so that we would capture your heart, we would capture your mind, that we would understand what Jesus would do in this situation and we would boldly proclaim the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray a blessing upon each person here today. Lord, I pray your spirit move upon their heart. And I pray a blessing upon them like never before. In Jesus' name, amen.